Humane Nature is an animal tourism podcast with discussions of animal abuse, injury, and medicine. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, travelers. Welcome back to Humane Nature. I'm your host, Stacia, and uh, we got a really big episode for you guys today. Um, But first, I'm going to get into some travel and wildlife news for you guys. I don't really have much in the way of personal news, um, so not much going on with me, but a lot going on in the world right now. So first off in travel... uh, Be safe, you guys. COVID-19 cases are still on the rise worldwide due to tourists. Um, Travel is up and there are far fewer mask mandates and vaccine mandates, testing mandates, all that stuff is way down. So COVID-19 cases are beginning to um, get a little out of control again. And in addition to that, monkeypox cases are beginning to increase around the world as well with some cities and countries um, implementing states of emergency uh so be careful with that as well mask up if you're on you know crowded public transit i would highly recommend masking up on planes as well just be safe out there air travel is up over 83 percent from may 2021 without enough staff to keep up with this increase so so many airports and airlines around the world um had massive layoffs due to the um the height of the pandemic um, and they just haven't hired enough people to keep up with this uh, this massive increase in air travel. Some airports are placing caps on the number of flights allowed to depart each day due to extreme issues worldwide such as canceled flights, luggage delays, and TSA backups. So one such airport is the London Heathrow Airport. Um, after there was a several hour long, like several lines that were several hour um, several hours long just to check in for flights the airport put a daily cap of 100,000 passengers from July to October this year so that is in place as of right now it is um, August 2022 and it will be in effect at least until this fall New Zealand is finally open to international travelers, but they are still implementing really strict limitations on who's allowed to come in. And um, many, most travelers do need visas to come in. Um, They are mostly opening up to international students since that was a huge part of their kind of international travel base were um, students um, coming to New Zealand, so... And finally, there is currently a worker strike in Indonesia as the government raised the cost to visit Komodo National Park Islands. And they did raise the ticket price to about 250 US dollars um, per person, which is hefty price tag. The new tickets cost more than 18 times the old price. Workers claim the increase will deter tourists and destroy their incomes. However, the government states that the money is needed for conservation efforts. And they did announce back in 2020, like early 2020, that they were going to close the islands to tourists due to an increase in wildlife smuggling, tourists feeding the wildlife, and crowds affecting breeding behaviors. So um, I know this 
may affect some of the workers, um, but they are not completely closing the islands. And I, as much as it may deter, you know, some people from being able to see the Komodo dragons on these islands, um, I do kind of agree with the the increase in cost because that um, they they do need to deter some of the tourists because of some of the issues that the tourists are bringing in. And unfortunately, money is one of those ways to do it. And the increase in ticket price will make up for the lack of tourists um, monetarily to um, help pay for conservation efforts in the area. So hopefully they can come up with some other ways to compensate the workers um, that may suffer due to this because they're not really receiving any cuts of those tickets. The um, workers that are going to be suffering are going to be like food vendors and uh, tour directors, hotel staff, things like that. All right, so for some wildlife news, a new anemone has been described in Japan. It is so cute. This anemone lives exclusively on the backs of hermit crabs in the deep waters around Japan. Um, There is a new video that shows a crab. So hermit crabs do um, chain shells, so they do not grow the shells themselves. And as they outgrow shells, they move homes and they switch shells. Um, This new video shows a crab physically moving the anemone from its old shell onto its new shell um, after upgrading. So um, this is pr- like showing a symbiotic relationship between the two species. Scientists still aren't sure exactly how the uh, symbiotic relationship works, um, but they had some theories and um, I highly encourage you to look up some pictures. They're really, really, really cute. Uh, On July 29th, which was International Tiger Day, Nepal announced that it not only met its goal of doubling the number of wild tigers in the country, they exceeded it. That is amazing. In 2010, they, along with some other countries where um, tigers are found in the wild, um, stated that they had a goal of doubling the number of wild tigers tigers um, in natural wild populations around their country and they tripled it um, in in the last 12 years. So there are officially 355 wild tigers in Nepal today compared to 121 in 2010 and that is awesome. However, experts are now a little concerned that the um, number of wild tigers in the area are kind of reaching their Um, breaking point um, that there may be too many now um, to be able to support and what happens in those cases when there are too many predators it it kind of has this effect where um, the they end up eating all of the prey animals and then their populations just dwindle they they explode and then they are way 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 cut back due to a lack of food a lack of space um that kind of thing so um, some experts are a little concerned that that will happen um if this uh, population keeps exploding the way that it is but it is really really great that there are so many more wild tigers in the within the last 12 years finally the u.s has implemented new rules for shipping vessels to protect the endangered north atlantic right whales these Shipping vessels must adhere to slower speed limits in areas and times where the whales may be present. Um, this is due to 
The two biggest threats to the Atlantic right whale are vessel strikes and entanglements in fishing gear. So um, they're hoping that these new laws in place will help protect the whales, help um, boats see them much earlier, and give the whales more time to get out of the way. There are only 340 individuals left, and the numbers are decreasing, mostly due to human activity. So I'm really hopeful that these new rules, as long as they are being followed, uh, will help our whale friends. All right, let's get into today's topic, which is a little shitty. (laughs) That's a joke. I don't know if you read the... (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't know if you read um, the title of today's topic, uh, but we are going to be talking about civet coffee uh, over in Southeast Asia. And uh, it's poop. We're talking about poop today. Uh, Yeah, it's pretty shitty. (laughs) Okay. Um, So I do want to include a note here. I did not include any sources from PETA, although they do have a lot of videos and articles on the topic out. Um, I can do an episode in the future on why I do not support or endorse PETA. How, um, if if you guys would like, uh, I try to mostly include science-backed, peer-reviewed articles and also blogs and websites that do their proper literary research and um, either through their own personal experiences or they um, like like they talk about their own personal experiences or they list their sources um, such as like what I do. Um, So PETA is not a science backed organization. Um, There is a lot of evidence that they do more harm than good. So I did not include any of the videos or articles from PETA in within this episode. So Uh, First off, let's talk about what is a civet. Uh, Many of you may not know what a civet is. That's C-I-V-E-T. A civet is a group of viverid species in northern Africa and southern Asia, and they mostly live in tropical forests. Um, There are multiple species of civet. The African civet and the Asian palm civet are the most well-known due to um, their uses to people. So um, African civets are known for their kind of musky scent. Um, for a very, very long time, people have used their their scent, their, their musk and perfumes. And Asian palm civets are used for civet coffee, which is what we're going to be focusing on today. African civets are listed as least concern, but are threatened by poaching in some African countries for their civetone for the perfume industry. And some people, um, like some scientists, argue whether they are a true civet because they are the only member of its genus. Asian palm civets are also listed as least concern overall, though their numbers are declining in Indonesia, uh, where most of them live, in the wild by poaching for coffee farms. Civets have been used for centuries by people. Um, So like I said, the African civet's musk was used as an expensive perfume in China in the 10th to 13th centuries. Um, At the time, it was worth more than gold. And we still use um, civet musk in high-end perfumes today. This perfume was called civet, which is where the animal gets its name. Um, Their musk was also used in traditional medicine and may still be today. I didn't... um, read too much into that because we are going to be focusing on the Asian palm civet today. 
Civet is the common name for the group of animals, and they're also called toddy cats in English, marapati, and um, malaya lamb. Malaya lamb. <laughs> I hope I'm saying that right. Um, musang in Malaysian and Indonesian. Um, so they've got lots of different names. They are found all over the place. They look similar to ferrets or foxes. Um, they've got these really long pointed snouts. Um, they're very long bodied, um, but they're kind of small animals. To me, they kind of look like a cross between a ferret, a raccoon, and a domestic cat. They're very interesting looking animals. Um, the Asian palm civets are mostly arboreal, so they live mostly up in the trees with an overall black, dark brown, or cream body color. And they have spots along their um, along their body to help them blend in with their environment up in the trees. They have stripes down their sides, as well as gray or white faces with a dark mask like a raccoon. And their extremely long tails are patternless. So they are like a solid black or dark brown, typically. They are only about 53 centimeters or 21 inches in length from head to rump. And then um, they have like a 48 centimeter and 19 inch long tail. So their tails almost double their, their entire body length. Um, they have very, very long tails. They only weigh between two and five kilograms, which is four to 11 pounds. And even the Asian palm civets, like all civets, have very powerful scent glands that they excrete when they are frightened or stressed and this scent is said to be extremely nauseating. So if you've ever been in a pet store or in a home where someone has a lot of ferrets, um, it's kind of similar to that, but much, much, much more powerful. So um, anyone who's been around a ferret knows that they have a very specific odor about them, a very specific scent. I don't necessarily find the smell of ferrets to be bad. It just is. It's it's just a ferret smell. And civets um, are more closely related to like ferrets and, and weasels and um, mongooses than they are to cats, even though they are called civet cats quite often. And they're kind of the same where they have a very powerful specific odor due to their scent glands, um, but it is said to be extremely powerful. Civets are unusual within the, or within the order carnivora. So they are considered within the order carnivora like carnivores, such as various cats and things like that and that they are mostly omnivores or or or, bleh, or herbivores try to say that 10 times fast or herbivores or herbivores many species of civets mostly eat fruit while others rely on flower nectar um, civet diets have grown to include livestock, so small livestock like chickens and rabbits um, and, and other birds as humans have encroached on their habitat. So they are kind of seen as pests um, to farmers throughout the areas that they live, kind of like foxes in the United States where they kind of sneak on um, in the middle of the night and they may steal a chicken or something. They are, however, extremely important for plant species dispersal. The seeds found in their feces have shown to have extremely high germination rates. So they eat a lot of plant material and then those seeds pass through their um, intestinal tract and these seeds spread um, because they, you know, walk around and they're mobile and they uh, have a very high germination rate. So they are extremely important to plant life um, within their ecosystems. 
And the two main civets people use in captivity are used in two ways. In Asia, they are raised to process coffee beans. And in Ethiopia, they are raised to collect the civet paste for perfumes. So um, I can do another episode in the future about civet paste um, used in perfumes if you would like. But today we are going to focus on Asian palm civets on coffee farms. There are a few species of civets that are used to make coffee, but we are going to be focusing on the most common in the trade, which is the Asian palm civet. Okay, so now that we know what a civet is, let's talk about what Kopi Luwak is. Kopi Luwak is the world's most expensive coffee due to its rarity and lengthy process to make. So this coffee is made in Indonesia, Thailand, Ethiopia, Vietnam, the Philippines, you know, throughout Southeast Asia. Uh, But it mostly comes from Indonesia. Um, That is where it was first discovered, first created. But due to its popularity, it has spread throughout Southeast Asia. Originally, it was made locally in very small batches as as a sustainable upscale coffee. However, it, it is not that anymore. And we will get into that in just a minute. This coffee um, consists of partially digested coffee cherries from the feces of Asian palm civets. Yes, that's right, from their poop. Um, it is also called civet coffee, cat poop coffee, civet poop coffee, etc. So how does this work? Let's talk about it. The coffee tree that is used to make most coffee um, within the area is called coffea. Um, And this tree grows ripe red cherries or berries that have two seeds inside. And this plant is evergreen, a native plant to the tropical Southeast Asia forests and Northern Africa. The ripened cherries are eaten by the civets, which is one of their favorite foods. Um, So they go on and they eat these cherries and they eat, basically eat them whole. The cherries the, the fleshy part of the cherry is digested and the, the seed, which is, we call it a coffee bean. A coffee bean is actually a seed within this, within this cherry or berry. The, the seeds, the, the beans are fermented in the civet's digestive tract. After 24 to 36 hours, the beans or the seeds are defecated by the civets and um, they defecate the whole bean. So these Berries are pretty small. They eat them whole, pretty much. And then when they come out, they look like what, if you picture a coffee bean, it kind of looks like that before it's roasted. So it's kind of like lighter in color. They are then washed, dried, and roasted for consumption. And the natural enzymes in a civet's digestive tract causes the coffee to be less acidic and bitter with a smoother mouthfeel, which feels really gross to say. Uh, The... So the poop itself, if you look at a picture of civet poop, is looks like a compact tube full of the undigested beans. And to me, it looks exactly like a payday candy bar. <laughs> it's very, very strange. I will add a picture of it to my Instagram and my other social media channels. So you can uh, decide for yourself if it looks like a payday candy bar and if you will ever want to eat another payday candy bar again. It does take an extremely long time to get enough beans for a bag of coffee. So 10 kilograms, which is 22 pounds of raw kopi luwak, which is the poop, will yield only 2 kilograms or 4.4 pounds of roasted beans. So that's like, what, 20%? And 
it's important to note that no actual fecal matter is on the beans during roasting. So they do thoroughly clean them. They do thoroughly like wash and dry and then roast them. So by the time it becomes coffee, it, it, it's not actually like poop. You're not drinking poop. But these beans were processed in the digestive tract of these animals and then collected from their poop. Civet Coffee appeared on Oprah in 2015 and also on the film The Bucket List in 2007. The Bucket List is one of my favorite movies. Um, it is a really great movie. I really love the movie. But after these two pieces of media in, in the United States showed um, Kopi Luwak as like this really amazing coffee, the demand for Civet Coffee exploded. Um, the film labeled the copy coffee as a try before you die experience yeah so the the very first person to introduce civic coffee to the west more than 20 years ago was a man named tofi tofi tony wild and at the time he was a coffee connoisseur and trader he heard of this really amazing coffee in southeast asia he imported like a very very small amount and, and kind of wrote about it. And then people became fascinated by it. So, And then that kind of helped its uh, popularity at the time. And after realizing the truth behind the drink. So he did not know where, like what was actually happening to these animals at the time. Which we will get into in just a minute. He began the campaign, Kopi Luwak, cut the crap. <laughs> uh, which is amazing. I will leave a link in the description so you can check out his campaign. And uh you know, follow it and, and support it. This is proof that even the best intentioned people can make mistakes with a lack of information, but can change and save lives after understanding their mistake with new information, with the new knowledge. He also wrote a book called uh, Coffee, A Dark History. I will link this in the description as well. The book discusses not only civet coffee, but coffee's role in the slave trade, global revolutions, and the overall effects on our health. Though coffee overall does have a really, really dark history, which is really unfortunate, but you know, we, we can try to make it better now. You know, we can learn from our mistakes. And part of that is maybe not drinking Kopi Luwak, but we will get into that in just a minute. So Civet Coffee is like one of the rarest and the most expensive coffees in the world. And how much does it actually cost though? So you're going to pay a hundred US dollars per kilogram or $45 a pound for farmed beans or $1,300 per kilogram, $600 per pound for wild collected beans. It can be as low as $4 a cup for like a cup of black coffee for farmed or up to like within Indonesia where, where it's based or up to $100 a cup for like a cup of black coffee for wild collected at a cafe. The cheapest are going to be in the countries of origin, um, especially in Indonesia. There's a really big tourism industry centered around poop coffee there. There are also different grades depending on the quality of the cherries eaten and whether they mix it with other beans or whether it was um, wild collected or farmed. The high price tag is also associated with its supposed rarity. Um, farmed civic coffee is no longer rare but keeps the hefty price tag in marketing propaganda. So even farmed civic coffee 
will claim that it's still very rare and that it's like a once in a lifetime opportunity to try it. It is not rare anymore, guys. It is now an industrialized business and more than 50 tons of beans are produced every year, although the actual number is unknown. They claim that only about 500 kilograms of beans are produced every year, but they're producing way more than that. They're um, around 50 tons a year are consumed, mostly by tourists and the elite. So they're producing more than 50 tons of beans every year, but they're claiming only 500 kilograms. So, which is like 255-ish pounds of, um, of uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. So I'm going to take a quick break and then we are going to discuss... The ethics of farmed civet coffee, uh, what is actually going on, the difference between that and wild collected civet coffee, and, you know, if it's actually worth it, if it's actually a good coffee. Um, So I will be right back. As a budget traveler, finding affordable yet safe accommodation while traveling can be daunting. There have literally been horror movies made about bad hostels and hotels. I always use Hostel World to book my hostels around the world. With over 36,000 listed hostels in 180 countries around the world and 13 million verified reviews, I can trust that whatever room I book through Hostel World will be clean, affordable, and most importantly, safe. Book your first hostel with Hostel World using the link in the description. When you travel, you should be protected, especially if you enjoy adventurous activities or wildlife tourism. That's where travel insurance comes in. I personally use World Nomads because their coverage makes the most sense for me. They cover injuries or illnesses, lost luggage, canceled flights, and even damaged electronics. Protect yourself and your trip with World Nomads travel insurance. Check if their coverage is right for you using the link in the description. All right. Thank you so much for listening to those. And let's just jump right back into it. So we're going to talk about farmed civet coffee. So I mentioned this is very industrialized now. There was an undercover investigation by BBC that received media attention in 2013 after discovering the horrible conditions at civic um, coffee farms. The World Society of the Protection of Animals, or the WSPA, did verify the footage um, that they had in the little documentary. And um, it is free on YouTube. I will link the uh, full episode, the full documentary, in the description um, and label it so that you guys can watch that. I will warn you, it is very graphic. You will see a lot of animal injury, animal abuse, animal neglect. So just, you know, forewarning before you you decide to watch that because it's one thing to hear about these things. It's another to see it, you know. So unfortunately, most of the world's civet coffee is farmed due to the high demand and profitability. So there is an overabundance of reports of horrid conditions that plague these farms. Multiple civets who are solitary, so civets are solitary animals, are in these teeny tiny little metal cages to maximize the number of animals on the farm. So they're 
this is called battery farming. And if you are not aware what battery farms are, um, think of like the really, really awful videos and pictures of chicken farms, like the really industrialized chicken farms where these chickens are in cages barely larger than they are in order to maximize, you know, the number of chickens in a factory so that they can produce as many eggs as they possibly can. This is what, you know, big companies like Tyson do and why there has been a push for cage-free or free-roam chicken eggs for for the health of the animal and also it helps improve the quality of the eggs. But um, that is what a battery farm is and that is what these civets are also going through. They're usually housed in like wire bottom cages to catch the droppings. So, you know, they're they're walking on um, wire bottom, like you, you picture like a, again, a chicken cage or a rabbit cage that have the holes in them to catch the droppings underneath so that they don't have to clean as much. They don't have to go in and collect it. They just pull out a tray and it's all there. These like wire bottom metal cages are really, really bad for their feet they can severely damage their feet and cause muscular, skeletal, and nerve damage over time. This is also why we don't use wire bottom cages for rabbits or why you're not supposed to. And if you have a rabbit and you're using a wire bottom cage, um, I know a lot of pet stores, a lot of farm store places sell those and, and promote them because it helps clean up. It helps collect um, droppings a lot easier look into it. They're, it's really, really, really bad for the feet of basically any animal. No animal should be walking on wire bottom cages um, if they're, you know, non-flight animals. So like some bird cages can have them. But yeah, anyway, there is also no enrichment in these cages. They also typically don't have anywhere to climb. Um, remember, these are arboreal animals and nowhere to hide. They are also nocturnal, so there's nowhere for them to escape the light, um, the sunlight, if they are outside. And uh, frequent stress behaviors are seen in almost every single one of these animals. They eventually develop zoocosis, which is a neurotic mental disorder seen in captive wild animals, as well as humans in solitary confinement that have a lack of enrichment and inability to perform natural behaviors. This uh, mental disorder is... You typically see repetitive behaviors with no goal or function. So think of pacing back and forth, head swinging, things like that. Um, Self-mutilation, eating disorders, and high levels of depression and anxiety. You can see many of these behaviors in that BBC documentary. Some of them are very graphic. And when I say self-mutilation, I mean self-mutilation. A lot of these civets end up like chewing off their own paw pads, chewing off their own feet. So it's pretty awful. They are force-fed nothing but coffee cherries to maximize their profits. Um, but even though a wild civet does like coffee cherries, they do eat them naturally, they cannot get enough nutrients from coffee cherries alone. And they do slowly waste away from starvation, essentially from a lack of nutrients. In the wild, they do need a varied diet of fruits, vegetables, animals, and insects, even though they are mostly herbivores, but they need, you know, high variety in their diet. The berries that they're eating are typically a lower quality berry than they would eat on their own, impacting the flavor of the coffee. 
a diet of only coffee cherries in these animals causes extreme levels of caffeine. So let's talk about that for a second. The So caffeine has been developed in, uh, by plants over time to as a, um, a natural insecticide. So insects don't like caffeine, which is why so many plants that are unrelated to each other have developed caffeine w- within them. Combined, the... the Extreme levels of caffeine combined with the cramped spaces and no enrichment. Civets are all often seen gnawing their paws off on farms. Like I just said, they, they go crazy. They are hopped up on caffeine with nothing to do. So they eat about 1.5 kilograms of berries a day in order to, to maximize pros, uh, profit, sometimes more. And the 1.5 kilograms of berries is equivalent to 125 shots of espresso caffeine wise they eat this amount daily daily to yield 300 grams of coffee beans the effect of this amount of caffeine on the civets has not been studied yet but i feel like it can't be good right i know they're not humans um but they're tiny like remember they weigh like like six to eleven pounds and they're eating enough caffeine every day that that's equivalent to 125 shots of espresso and to compare a fatal overdose of caffeine in a human an adult human is a concentration of 80 to 100 milliliters of caffeine per liter of blood in the body the u.s government dietary guidelines say adults should not consume more than 400 milligrams of caffeine per day um, this is equivalent to about six and a half shots of espresso. And I know some people with a really high caffeine tolerance can will drink more than that in a day. I usually don't drink more than two to four shots of espresso in a day. Uh, four is really pushing it for me. And that's, you know, six and a half shots is 400 milligrams. They're eating the equivalent of 125. And our limit is six and a half. So that's something to think about. There is an extreme high mortality rate on farms due to the poor welfare. Civets on farms begin to lose their fur. They are known to pass out, lose consciousness, and have blood in their stools. And remember, the stool later becomes the coffee that people are drinking. So there's there's blood in it. Um, that, that can't be good. Um, and here's a quote from the BBC doc. Quote, I know they are dying when they have blood in their feces, but... When they die, they die healthily. This was said by one of the farmers um, on the BBC doc. Make that make sense. <laughs> make that make sense. In captivity on the farms, like not, not in captivity in general, but on the farms, they live on average a little over a year. In the wild, they live 15 to 20 years. And they can live up to 24 years in ethical captivity situations such as rescues, um, rehabilitation centers, AZA accredited zoos, and they live a little over a year on these farms. Farmers often see themselves as their rescuers of the animals, um, and this was because they used to be seen as pests um, on these farms. So these farmers who would own, you know, large farms, large areas of, of coffee fields indonesia is um i don't remember exactly which number but they're like top five coffee producers in the world and so there are lots of coffee farms and these civets 
would come on because um, they, they do. They love these coffee berries. So they would come on the farms and eat coffee berries and, and they would be shot on sight basically because they were seen as pests because they would eat the crops. And now instead of being killed for eating the crops, they kind of are the crop. And because of that, these farmers are seeing themselves as rescuing them because they are no longer shooting them, but they're still dying. Social media has increased the demand for civet coffee, causing more civets to be taken from the wild to be put on farms. And I did read a, I think it was a thesis project for a college student, and it is linked in on the sources for today's show, where she dove into various hashtags about civet coffee on Instagram and, um, how that may be impacting tourism and, and people going to try um, civet coffee. Civets are extremely difficult to breed in captivity, which is why poaching, poaching civets are at an all-time high. Conservation for civets as well as plant biodiversity in their habitats are suffering, but we don't know which to what extent because it is not really actively being studied as, at this point. Many social media sites, such as Instagram, do have a warning for certain hashtag searches. So like, you know, tiger selfies, riding elephants, things like that will have warnings put on them. But I do not believe at this time there is any warning for civet coffee. So a lot of these people who are going and, and searching these things and, and going, they, they just don't know. There's not a lot of education out there. And coffee producers and, and sellers are trying to hide that um, because it's a it's a really big money maker. Tourists also pay to visit the farms as a second form of income for these farms. You know, they go in to see the animals. They they they've tried the coffee. They want to see the animals that make them. These coffee sellers, the cafes, the farmers are claiming that it's ethical and that these civets are well cared for, but just don't <laughs> don't be that asshole. Uh, just don't promote this. Don't go visit. Don't give them your money. I know most of the people who are doing this um, don't realize, but please spread the word and, and just don't. Although Asian palm civets are listed as least concern, they are given next to no protection due to being listed as least concern. And the minimal protections that they have are rarely enforced. So we have no idea how many civets are being taken from the wild for farms or how this is overall affecting civet biodiversity, plant uh, biodiversity in the wild because it's not actively being studied because they're not an endangered species. While doing research for this episode, I did find a project called Project Luwak, that's L-U-W-A-K in Singapore, that is trying to get the word out. I signed their pledge, and I will link it in the show notes, and I encourage you to sign it as well. Um, help get the word out. They work mostly in Singapore, um, but Singapore, you know, is a very, very rich country, and there's a lot of civic coffee there. There's a lot of it because it's it's considered a luxury item. So they are working really hard not only to stop the farms, but to educate sellers, educate cafes, um, so that these areas, the, these sellers who may not know what they're actively participating in, 
know like they're they're educated and they'll stop selling it and if places stop selling it there'll be less of a demand for these farmers so real quickly let's talk about wild collected civic coffee because it does exist wild collected civic coffee is over 13 times more expensive than farmed due to the extra labor required so for wild collected civic coffee workers forage within these forests for civet feces after um, they have eaten the coffee cherries. Wild civet coffee is also of a higher quality than farmed due to civets being extremely choosy and picky and only choosing the highest quality fruit from the, the coffee trees when they have the choice. They prefer a riper, sweeter berry that produces a naturally sweeter coffee. And this is one of their favorite foods. They do love coffee berries, coffee cherries. It's just not their only food source. However, estimates state that around 80% of wild civet coffee is fake and is actually mislabeled farmed beans. And many places will purposefully mislabel it because there's no regulation for this. And uh, so even if you go somewhere and you want to try it and it says, oh, this is 100% ethical, this is wild collected, this is, you know, great, it, it's most likely not. And, and they just increase the price to make you feel better about it. Typically in the wild, civets only eat very small amounts of coffee berries as a treat, not as their main diet. So finding enough beans for even a single cup of coffee is next to impossible. It takes a very, very long time, which is why it's so expensive. Funding more wild collected civet coffee areas would be and could be mutually beneficial if it was regulated. So if they had like these huge coffee areas with lots of coffee trees and civets were allowed to come, not just allowed, but like um, they put out other feeding areas, salt licks, things like that to encourage civets to come on, um, on the plantation and the farms and eat the berries. And then they could go out and collect stool without them being in these battery farms that could be mutually beneficial to the farm, both the farmers and the civets. However, <laughs> many suppliers of the coffee do not want wild kopi luwak due to concern over what other foods they may have eaten, such as lizards, bugs, birds, etc. So a lot of the coffee companies that are buying the beans from the farmers do not want wild collected even though it is more ethical and even more even though it um may affect the taste of the coffee because they don't want all these other things to potentially be in the in the droppings all even though they they fully wash and dry and roast just the beans that come out like everything else is digested which makes absolutely no sense to me and then many of these companies turn around and label the farmed beans that they know are farmed beans as wild collected when they don't want wild collected beans to begin with. So it's an absolute mess. But is Kopi Luwak actually good? Is it worth the hype? Is it worth what we're doing to these animals? Of course, it's not worth what we're doing to the animals. But even for wild collected, 
Is it worth the price tag? Is it good coffee? It is said to be very smooth, sweet, and almost syrupy with co- uh, with a chocolate or like caramel undertones. A study shows that civet coffee has less of the compound that makes coffee bitter compared to roasted beans from the same plant and a higher caffeine content. Um, and this comes from Chandon Garcia in 2011, and that will be in the... It's fascinating study, um, and that will be in the sources for today's episode as well. This is thought to be due to the digestive enzymes partially breaking down the cellular wall of these coffee beans and allowing the roasting to extract more of the flavor and more caffeine. With a regular bean, the cell wall is intact, but when they examined the digestive beans closely, um, they had a lot of pits in them. So that could be what makes the difference. However, the Specialty Coffee Association of America, which I didn't know was a thing, (laughs) has assessed the coffee. They assessed Kopi uh, Luwak and says it simply tastes bad. They don't like it. Other critics agree and state that there is really nothing about the coffee that actually makes it superior to all other coffees. And I did read a few like coffee foodie blogs and watch some videos of like coffee experts doing blind tastings. And every single one of them were disappointed in, in the coffee. They rated it the lowest um, in a group of like blind tastings. And one um, video that I watched, they had like four high-end specialty coffees. And Kopi Luwak placed fourth out of the four. And the number one choice was like 20 times cheaper than Kopi Luwak. So which is insane to me. So it may not even be a good coffee. It may just be because it's considered a luxury item. People just hype it up and 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 per, like in their heads it, it tastes better than what it actually is because they're paying $100 for a cup of coffee. Uh Kopi Luwak is not the world's only poop coffee. There's some other coffees that come from, um, you know, partially digested beans of other animals, Uh, but it is the most popular. And would I try it? Uh, Would I try Kopi Luwak uh, from a store or a cafe? No, because of, you know, what they're going through. But if someone were to offer me some kind of like a private tour or walk through the forests in Indonesia, like we did an overnight walk and I found some beans in the wild, like I found uh, some like wild, like actual wild collected beans. And then like, you know, with that person roasted them myself and I knew it was wild collected because I'd seen it for myself, then yeah, I would try it. Um, I'm not opposed to the coffee itself. I'm not, um, I, I would be really interesting to try and I get why people are so fascinated by it and want to try it, but I would never, ever, ever try it from like a cafe or beans from a store if I cannot confirm 
that it is wild collected, even if it says so on the bag, even if it says so at the cafe, because it's most likely not. Remember, 80% of like wild collected labeled Luat coffee is mislabeled, um, usually purposefully. But honestly, what are the actual chances of me getting some kind of, you know, private walk through and finding and then like roasting the own, my own coffee and like it would be amazing but it's probably never going to happen so I'm no I'm not gonna try it um people do walk all night through the tropical forests remember civets are nocturnal so that your best chance of finding this the like fresh droppings are going to be at night without ever finding anything much less enough beans to make a single cup of coffee so yeah Probably will never, ever, ever, ever have it. Here are some things that you guys can do to help get the word out and and to help stop this. Avoid purchasing civet coffee, beans, or grounds, even if it is labeled wild found, wild caught, wild collected, whatever. In addition, avoid shopping at cafes or stores that sell the coffee at all. Don't give them your money, you know, um, and until they, they stop selling it. Educate others who may be traveling in areas where civic coffee is more common, especially Indonesia and Singapore. Avoid tours of farms and plantations in Southeast Asia that may include civet farms. Um, even if, you know, you're not touring the civet farm area, if it's owned by the same person um, or could be, I would just avoid it. Promote the use of synthetic enzymes to process the beans instead. Um, this is something that they can do. They know which enzymes are within the digestive tract of, of a civet and um, they can synthesize that and they can um, synthetically make Kopi Luwak. But it, it doesn't have that same draw to people. It's not, you know, poop coffee anymore. It's, you know, lab made. Um, but, you know, Sign petitions and join groups that promote protections of Asian palm civets and farm regulation. And remember, education is everything. So don't be that asshole in two different ways. Don't criminalize people. Don't yell at them. Don't insult them if they don't know. Like if they've had this coffee or if they're planning on trying it and they don't know what's happening, uh, be kind and educate them and, and get them to understand. Uh, don't be an asshole to them, but also don't be that asshole that once you know how bad this is, don't go and, and don't go and try it. Don't go and order that cup of coffee. And remember, many small farmers in poor areas of Southeast Asia really rely on the sale of civet coffee to survive. Many of these farmers are doing it because it is supporting them and their families. We can't just halt this production. Instead, we need to find a way to save the civets as well as the farmers' livelihoods. Maybe finding some kind of ethical way to uh, balance the two, where we, we find ways to attract wild civets to farms without caging them, and then the farmers can collect wild-caught or wild-collected luwak that way. But we need to think about um, a lot of the poorer areas uh, of Southeast Asia where this is happening, um, th you never really know what someone will do if they need to survive. So it's important to be kind to them. Um, 
get pissed at the big organizations, get pissed at the big coffee collectors and buyers, but don't get mad at the farmers. You know, um, we just need to have more education and, and more opportunities um, for them to to do this in a more ethical way. All right, so uh, let's go over just a few civet fun facts because they're really, really cute animals. Many people refer to civets as cats, but they're, n- they're not felines. They're not cats. Um, they are more closely related to um, the mongoose than the feline species. There are 15 to 20 species of civets placed into um, 10 to 12 um, genre of animals. There's a big gap there because a few of the species are debated on whether they are true civets or not, just like the um, the African civet that I mentioned before. Most civets are mainly terrestrial, except for the Asian palm civet, who is the one who makes the coffee, which is mostly arboreal up in the trees. Most civet species are doing well in the wild, except for the Malabar civet in India and the Sunda otter civet in parts of Southeast Asia. So those are both um, considered endangered. Civets are mostly solitary, except in mating season, um, but are often seen feeding in groups on trees or salt licks without excessive aggression. So they just kind of prefer to be solitary. Um, They do get stressed on farms when they're in extreme close contact with other civets, um, forcibly for extended periods of time or all the time. Uh, but in the wild, they will congregate in small groups around their like their favorite foods and things and um, without an issue, but then they go their separate ways. And they are mostly nocturnal, but are seen occasionally scavenging or mating during the day. But they're very, very, very cute. And I will include some um, pictures of civets and that, um, you know, payday candy bar poop <laughs> on uh, my Instagram. So um, you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Stumble Safari, um, which is my blog name. Um, but I use the same social media channels for my blog and my podcast because I talk kind of about the same things. Um on the two. Remember to give a five-star review and follow um, Humane Nature on whatever podcast platform that you are using. It really, really helps if you guys leave five stars and a review and actually follow me um, because those platforms will promote uh, my podcast to other people so other people can find me and uh, learn more about animal tourism. I would love to give a shout out to Dewdrop Planet. She tagged me in a really awesome post about my Walking with Lions episode, which was episode 14. And she sent me such a sweet private message um, on Instagram. Like I actually cried. It was so, so sweet. I'm going to like burn it out and frame it. She is an incredible wildlife photographer and I will link her um, Instagram in today's show notes as well. So uh, go ahead and give her a follow and she's um, excellent photographer, loves wildlife and a very kind human being. (laughs) And then finally, remember to sign the Project Blue Walk Pledge in the description, um, as well as the uh, Cut the Crap campaign. Um, But thank you so much for listening, and I will hear you next time. Sources for today's show can be found in the link in the description. Thanks for listening.